highest of heights to the depths of the sea. Now it happened on the morning when the grain offering was offered, notice that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. It came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. This was a strange promise from God. Water would be provided, but without any apparent rain or storm. God promised to send water to the valley, but they had to dig the ditches to catch what God would provide. They had to be obedient before the promise was evident so they could benefit from it when it came. When we're obedient, God always makes ways for his provisions and always follows through with his promises. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 3 in the book of 2 Kings. So he brings a musician And music can be either used for good or ill, doesn't it? Can't it? Because we know that Satan often uses music for his own means when God intended music to glorify him. I'm just going to paraphrase a few things here for you. But in Ezekiel 28, God is speaking through uh, Ezekiel, and he's speaking to the power behind the king of Tyre. And the power behind the king of Tyre is nothing more than Satan himself. And, 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 and God is addressing Satan, Lucifer, addressing him directly uh, through this king. And he goes on and he says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. This is Ezekiel 28, verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, all the bling, it was all around you. And, and the workmanship of your, of your timbrels and pipes was prepared in you on the day you were created. Yes, did you hear that? Satan was created. He's not equal with God. He was a created being, and he was originally supposed to bring glory to God, and perhaps through worship, or, or, or somehow he was able to uh, obtain the worship of all of creation and bring it before God, and he himself was uh, outfitted in his body, evidently, uh, with timbrels and pipes, and it was prepared for you, God says, on the day that you were created And so Satan is very much into music. That's why he has perverted it. That's why many of our children are listening to garbage that's affecting their soul and thus affecting their behavior and their thoughts and their actions. What kind of music do you listen to? I'm sure that when Elisha said, bring me a musician, the the musician didn't come and play, you know, Crazy Train or Smoke on the Water or Stairway to Heaven.
music. Because I'm a musician, I'm a worship leader, I know how important music is. But music is powerful. That's why politicians use it when they, when, they, when they go out into the different cities and places they campaign. They know, they try to get popular artists of the day to play at their rallies. They know that if they can capture the ears and the heart of the people, they are almost there for a positive vote. They do. They use music. You look at everyone. I mean, everybody has, every politician has their puppet musician or group of musicians that agree with them politically. And they exploit them. And they're glad to be exploited because they get more notoriety and more press. But Satan has hijacked music. And in the last 20 years or so, all of the talented musicians, they flock to play for the devil. And they're all selling records and millions of records. But now there are even more talented people within the last 20 years in Christian music that are playing for the Lord. But the temptations of them are great right now. And there is a great uh, uh, potential for them to compromise. Because now it becomes a business. And there's a lot of Christian artists that started off with the right heart. They wanted to worship God, and it was a good thing. And all of a sudden, the the machinery of the music industry starts cranking. And even in the music industry, there's a machinery about it. And if they're not careful, they can be sucked up into the whole machine of the whole thing, and it becomes something different than what they started. And many of them, I think, would long to just go back to their local church again. And just say, you know what, I'd like to get back. But there's people who fill those positions that are doing a better job than you. Yeah, you got all the millions of records. And yeah, you'd fill the house, but you'd have a a bunch of um, uh, compromised Christians sitting there listening to you. Hopefully they'll hear the gospel and be saved. But notice that God finally speaks through Elisha, and and thus says the Lord, uh, God speaking through Elisha, says, Make this valley full of ditches, for thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And I notice this in verse 18, it says, And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. For him to do this without rain, without any kind of deluge, God does this. He says, Just be faithful to make ditches. Just create, dig these ditches in this valley and in the morning the water is going to be there and they simply and this is a simple matter for what the Lord's going to do and then I love what it says in verse 8 oh and by the way remember that thing you were asking about for deliverance and to conquer the Moabites that's going to happen too it's almost like a postscript yeah that's I'm going to do that too but I'm going to blow your mind with what I'm going to do now Is anything too hard for the Lord? I would encourage you to read Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 16 and 17. We don't really have the time. Jeremiah 32, verses 16 and 17. I would encourage you to read Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 14, where you know, the Lord comes and tells Sarah, you know, her and Abraham in their old age, that they're going to have a son at their ripe old age that they are, you know, in their 90s and, and stuff like that. And, and, and Sarah laughs. And God says to Abraham, I heard you, Sarah laugh. And he approaches Sarah. Sarah, you laughed. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. You laughed. But know this. About this time next year, you're going to have, you're going to have a, a baby bump. Are you kidding me at my old age? Yes. Is anything too hard for the Lord, he says? 
Is anything too hard? And that's a good question for us to ask. You know, as I think about this monumental project of, of even putting a floor in this whole church, you know how expensive that is? It's huge. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Or what about the Bread of Life Academy? All the preparations, all the things that we need to start that school next fall, Lord willing. It's monumental. But is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 19, and also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and cut down every good tree and stop up the springs and ruin every good piece of land with stones. And the reason for that is to make it uninhabitable. When you would attack your enemy's lands, you wouldn't go there and just wipe out the people. No, you'd, 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 you'd destroy the land so that they can't really rebuild it. And it's a, it's a real heavy tax. They not only lose life, but the, prop, the land itself is destroyed. And when God says to do that, you'd better do it. And they did. Now what happened on the morning when the grain offering was offered, notice that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. It came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And and I think this is um, really interesting because... You know, as the sun is coming up and as the red rocks of Edom and that area, as people look across the water and they see the sun coming up and the the red rocks and the reflection and all that, all that water in those valleys look like blood from the other side. And so they're looking at that thing and they're thinking to themselves, because it didn't rain, (laughs) so there's this water that looks like blood. And so the Moabites are thinking, these guys have killed each other. Let's go in and swoop in for the, the booty and grab all their swords and all their food and all their cattle and all their belongings, and we're going to have a big party tonight. But then they get over there and realize that God had done something miraculous as a ruse to bring them out for destruction. And he did. But this water, oh my goodness, time is my enemy. Hmm. Let's go through this rather quickly, but something I just brought to my mind as I was reading this, this this whole thing about water coming from Edom is very interesting to me. And the reason it is is because it tells us that in the great tribulation period, which is yet future to us, after the church has been removed, and then there's a seven years of God's judgment upon the earth, that God says in Revelation that he's going to preserve 144,000 of his people, and he's going to preserve them, we believe, in the rock city of Petra. And guess where Petra is? It's in Edom. <laughs> it's modern-day Jordan in that area, but that's the area of Edom, That's where it comes from. And I I think it's interesting. It's almost like a foreshadowing of what we're reading here about something that's going to happen yet future. Uh, Let me just read it to you for the sake of time. But in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13, it says this. And this is somewhere about the midpoint of the tribulation period. Somewhere right after the seventh trumpet judgment has happened, prior to the seven last bowls of wrath, somewhere right there in the middle of that seven-year period, 
Around the three and a half year mark, it says this. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, and here it's using a an, an, um, an picturesque and symbolic language uh, to show what is happening here. We know that the, the woman is Israel and the dragon is Satan. And it says, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time, which you know is three and a half years or 42 months or 1,260 days. From the presence of the serpent, the Antichrist. So the serpent spewed water, notice this, he spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, this Israel this 144,000, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth in Edom, assumingly, because that's where Petra is. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, mark this down too, Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6, because notice what happens. When, uh, when Jesus comes back to the earth, he's first with us. He is first going to go to Edom, and he is going to rescue these 144,000 in Basra, in Edom, at Petra. He's going to rescue them first. And notice what it says in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. It says, who is this? Isaiah prophesying of an event yet way future. Well, maybe not even as long as ways we think. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And here's the answer. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Who is that speaking? It's Jesus. That's who it is. And then they're going to ask, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And Jesus will respond in verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the people and from the peoples no one was with me for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood has sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was none to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. In my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought them down, brought down their strength to the earth. And so we believe that Jesus, when he returns, he is going to rescue these witnesses, these 144,000 out of the rock city of Petra, spare them. And there's going to be a battle there, and God is going, Jesus himself is going to win this battle. And then he is going to go to Jerusalem, where he's going to do more battle and finish off these enemies. And it tells us that in Zechariah chapter 14. Write this down. Zechariah chapter 14, the first five verses. And I'll read this, and we'll move along pretty quickly after this. I love this. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. All of these nations that are going to be gathered in Armageddon, he is going to be uh, gathering them together and, as he, and, and, and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle notice verse 4 and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives 
which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley, and half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. And then you shall flee, speaking of the Jews in Jerusalem, through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you, and we'll come back with him too. And we're going to witness all this. I wonder how much battle there is going to be with us. We're probably going to be sitting there on our horses just going, Yeah, Lord, hit him again! That's hard to think about, isn't it? That God would fight in battle against people, against kingdoms, against nations that have rejected him. That's hard for us to understand because we have brought up, we've been brought up that God is a God of love. And yes, he is. But there's a point... When, that, when, the, when his grace, even in the tribulation, God is going to be gracious, but there's coming a point where you've reached the Rubicon and your fate is sealed. There's going to come a point where those people, unfortunately, and God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. The Bible tells us that. So, verse 21, and I just I wanted to bring that to your attention because it sounds very similar it's almost like what we're reading tonight in Second Kings 3 is almost like a foreshadowing of what God is going to do yet future. This flood, the Antichrist is going to flood, and I believe it's going to be probably water of some kind. And there's some reservoirs around in that area. It could be that he's going to blow one of those up, and that water is just going to flush through and go right into Petra, and is, he's going to design something to, to wash them out and to flood them, and God's going to say, I'm going to save them from that. And that he's going to cause an earthquake. The earth's going to open up and all that water just goes. Nice try, Satan. <laughs> Can you outsmart God? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So it says, and we're wrapping up here. Thank you for your patience. So they rose up, the Moabites, they look across the valley and they see the sun shining on the water. And no doubt uh, in Edom, in that area, the the, even the clay, like in Tennessee or Kentucky, when you go and you see Kentucky and you drive through it, all that red clay you see on the hills and stuff like that, similar kind of thing here, the red rock and the sun and the water, all of this is like a, an illusion that God is placing on these Moabites to get them to come out in their confidence and for them to be taken. And so they said, this is blood. The kings have surely uh, struck swords and killed one another. Now to the spoil. So they came and they actually come against them, the Israelites and the, Jew, the people of Judah and, and the people of Edom. And they run back and they destroyed their cities. Each man threw a stone on it and stopped up the springs and did all of these things, destroying the land. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. But even in that, he could not. So in in order to appease his God, thinking that, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose everything now, what does the thinking man do? What does the idolater do? He says, well, I must sacrifice to my God. I got a sacrifice to this God of Chemosh. What's the best thing I can do to, I'm really in a straight here and I got to do something because I'm, I'm losing, I'm losing. I'm about ready to be had. I know what I'll do. I'll take my son, my only son, the heir to my throne and I'll sacrifice him and that'll uh, appease Chemosh and he'll help me. And so that's what he does. He took his eldest son, verse 27, who would have reigned in his place and he offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall 
And there was great indignation against Israel. And so they departed from him and returned to their own land. And so some have thought, um, have put forth that the better translation here could be that there was a great indignation in Israel. Uh, that, that might be a better translation, perhaps. And there's a little bit of conjecture here, of course. But the inference seems to be that they were all so incensed by what he did that the armies of Judah and Jerusalem just said, you know what? We've seen it all now. We're, just, we're getting out of here. We're going back home. <laughs> um, or it could mean that Judah had indignation against Israel for going to war with the Moabites in the first place, which resulted in this horrific act of murder and idolatry. Or further yet, finally, it could mean that the Moabites had great indignation against Israel for pursuing them, forcing them to do what they had to do. The king forcing himself, forcing his hand to kill his only son, It could be that the Moabites had great indignation against Israel for that. But again, Misha, when these tribes, when these three kings go away, what does Misha, king of Moab, do? He gives credit to his God. It says that on the Moabite stone. That's what's so interesting about that stone. He gives credit to Chemosh, his false god. But none of this, unfortunately, turned away Israel. If if they were repulsed by what happened on the wall there as he sacrificed his son, even if that is the case, it didn't change their hearts one bit because they continued in their idolatry. So it's good for us to examine our hearts too, right? And especially as we began, you know, just really take... Take stock in your heart and the, the things, the places, the people, the things that you align yourself with. Who are you aligned with? Are you aligned with Jesus or are you aligned with the world? And there's really only one solution if you answer yes to any of those things. Yes, I am aligned to the world. I, I got worldly friends and I, I do things with them that I shouldn't do. Well, if that is the case and you've got one thing before you and that is to turn That's what repent means. You turn from those things and you go in the opposite direction. There's no way around it. You can't just pretend like it doesn't happen and sweep it under the rug and, well, I only smoke twice with them. I only, you know, drink, I only get blasted with them once a a week, once a month, you know. Come on, God, you know, I got to have some fun. God's going, no, I got much more fun for you, but it has nothing to do with that. Wouldn't you agree, for those of you who are believers, and I believe all of you are here today, tonight, (laughs) is your life better off now that you've turned away from that stuff? The less worldly you have become, the greater joy you have, the true joy that's not based on sorrow. I mean, wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you you do, you know, then let's stand. (laughs) Let's stand and pray. And thank God for giving us a heart. Lord, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for this passage, Lord. It's a, a real challenge, Lord, because we live in a very unique time in history in the church and certainly a unique time in our country, and Lord, many people are frustrated, many people are angry, many people are trying to find solutions at the bottom of the bottle. They're trying to find solutions in so many vices and so many ways, and Lord, you're beckoning to us to come to you. Lord, help us to do that tonight, Lord, to put aside all of our worldliness. 
Lord, help us not to be like Jehoshaphat, Lord, seemingly having a foot in the kingdom and dabbling in, in compromise, Lord. And certainly help us not to be like a Jehoram who was just completely given over to evil. Lord, help us and cleanse us, Lord. And be with us tonight and tomorrow and just wash us and cleanse us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.